0: Jonathan Kraft, Bloomberg, Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio.
1: Hello, I'm Evan Novi Williams.
0: And I'm uh, Michael Barr, Sans Scott. We miss you, buddy. He's flying home today, though. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Podcast, where we, we... <laughs> I love it. We explode the big money issues in the world of sports. Oh man, Scott's gonna be jealous because we're saying we now. Uh we got a lot of topics to talk about.
1: Yeah, what a busy, uh, what a busy weekend! Oh my
0: goodness gracious! Uh, I, I don't know where to begin. Let, well, I will tell you, let's start with Kawhi Leonard. Mm. And there's so many avenues to go with this—the
1: Friday news dump of the, of the century yeah, here, for, from like, the sports man. perspective. Yeah, I mean,
0: first of all, Leonard says, you know, all the about the rumors that uh, there was no way he was going to join LeBron and Anthony Davis. That's rumors. We'll see where this plays out. But then there's the one that uh, that we were both talking about. Uh, let's put it this way. At one point, he was kind of acting like a GM.
1: Yeah, I think this is the most interesting part of this. And and we've seen it over the past 10 years in the NBA where, you know, stars have so much power. And when you're a free agent and you're as good as Kawhi Leonard is, um, you essentially have your, your pick of, of, of a handful of teams that you can go to. Um, but he... Really was a GM here, right? I mean, he there are rumors that he talked to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving about possibly teaming up even after uh, the announcement was that they intended to sign in Brooklyn. You know, he got the Clippers to make a monster, monster deal uh, with the Oklahoma City Thunder to get Paul George, who was an MVP candidate. Last year, he was essentially pulling the strings here in a way that you typically see on the team side, right? This yeah. is a this is a GM's job, right? Well, to, say this is GM to, material to here, make man. a pitch to a player to think about what else you can do, maybe try to lure two players who are agreeing to sign together if you can get them both to. Uh, Kyra, uh, Kawhi Leonard, who is you know notoriously close to the vest, managed to do all this himself in an offseason. and 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 I don't think this is this should be overlooked. Did it without the media getting wind of it, right? There was people, I mean, there's so many sources saying that he was going to stay in Toronto or he was definitely going to LA. Um, there was really nobody really addressing the, the idea that he was planning for a while to be in the, be with the Clippers. And not only that was working on other teams uh, to try to get a deal done.
0: I think the, the big news stories, like you said earlier, the first time I heard about this was this morning when I read about it, because we heard nothing about this even uh, through most of the weekend, we didn't hear anything
1: about Yeah, that. I mean, I think the, the general thought I mean, he's a he's from LA, right? There was certainly talk of him going to the Clippers a, a while ago, uh, but so much of the conversation in the past week really centered around two options, right? With, with returning to Toronto, where he just won a Nash, uh, an NBA title, uh, or teaming up with the Lakers, you know, which would be, you know, with Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, and LeBron James would probably be the, the three most talented. The, the team with the most talented three players in, in NBA history. Um, he decided not to do that uh, in, in one fell swoop, you know, Lord Paul George from the Clipper or from the, the Oklahoma city thunder spurned the Lakers blew the NBA kind of wide open in terms of who the favorite is, who the team is to watch. Um, you know, there, there, there's so many different folds to this. Uh, a few others that I think are, are really worth discussing. One, You know, there was a lot of talk when LeBron went out West last year that, you know, the NBA was losing a lot of stars on the East Coast um, and that that has an effect on TV ratings, which were down this year. And one of the reasons was that, you know, a guy who's been in the East Coast for his entire career was suddenly moving out West. Um, This move by Kawhi doesn't help that all that much, right? He leaves Toronto and goes to the West Coast. He takes Paul George uh, from Oklahoma City, also goes to the West Coast. Uh, You can argue that the Nets got a bit more interesting in free agent luring Kevin Durant from the West Coast back East, Uh, but he won't play next year. And I do wonder if there's a part of the league office right now that's thinking, Man, all these really interesting teams, be it the the Warriors still with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, whether it's the Clippers now with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, if it's the Lakers now with Anthony Davis and and LeBron James, most of these games are going to be starting at 10 p.m. on the East Coast, right? That's going to have an effect on at least the TV ratings and also some advertising money going going to the NBA and its partners.
0: I'll tell you one team since Durant is not playing next season in the East that I got my eye on that I think could do very well, uh, Philly, mm. I right, Because if, if Durant's not playing, because the 76ers for the most part kept all their components together yep. and I could see them making a, a deep run if not possibly going all the way.
1: Sure. Yeah. And, and another thing that I think is also worth mentioning, um, the NBA Obviously, tremendously popular right now and and has it occupies a space right now in kind of the social fabric of America and social media that I think other leagues uh, kind of fail to do. Um, the league has structured itself in a way where it seems like the entire league turns over every two, three, four years right which i think is really good for you know conversations and weeks like this right this you could argue that yeah, this last yeah. this last 7 <laughs> days were possibly outside of actual basketball being played the most exciting week right. uh, in nba history i was looking at this the other day the 2017 nba all star game right so 2 years ago uh, of the 10 starters Only two of them are still on the same team they were on two years ago, right? right? Kyrie Irving, changed teams. DeMar DeRozan, changed teams. LeBron James, changed teams. Jimmy Butler, changed teams. Giannis Antetokounmpo, same team. And then in the West, Steph Curry, same team. James Harden, different team. Kevin Durant, different team. Kawhi Leonard, different team. Anthony Davis, different team. You know, the the league is structured in this way now, and players have so much power where there is so much interest in free agency, and really the best teams in the league switch their teams almost... (laughs) Probably every every three to four years now. Um Kerry Irving, you know, is is on this list as well. He you know, he, he's been involved in three blockbuster free agency or trades in the past four years, it seems like, right? Um, and that keeps interest high and it's different from any other sport, right? This does not happen In the NFL, uh, it does not happen in the NHL. It doesn't happen in baseball to the same degree.
0: By the way, can we calm some talk down about the Warriors? I'm hearing now because of all this free agency that has happened, that, oh, that's it, the Warriors, they're not even going to make the playoffs. (laughs) Calm down. They're going to make the playoffs. I don't know how deep they're going to go, but they're going to make the playoffs.
1: Yeah, no, uh, you're right. (laughs) Um, And I do wonder, you know, as as teams shift so much – um, I do wonder if 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 fandom in the NBA is is, is gonna eventually occupy a different type. Uh, you know, the NFL fans obviously are so you know addicted to their own teams. It's so tribal. I do wonder if if the NBA, as it continues, you know, have off seasons that are almost like reality TV shows. If you if you start to as an NBA fan, and the future of fandom in the NBA might less be tethered directly to you know your local team, and maybe more tied one to a player or two to an ethos, right? Like the right. there are people out there who are going to love the Clippers and the Lakers right now because their super teams and stars are on them. I think there are people out there who are also going to love what's happening down in New Orleans, you know, yeah. with Zion Williamson, you know, who got overlooked, his, his summer league debut, I think got overlooked within all this – you know, the yeah, free agency say.
0: and trade periods. stuff. Zion Williamson has said, hey, remember me? Yeah, Top but, uh, <laughs> what could go down as a
1: as a banner moment in, in NBA history, you know, his summer league debut. Um, yeah, I think there are people out there who will say, look, I like what they're doing down in down in New Orleans. That's a different kind of exciting team, right? One that's built on youth and ex- exciting and, and through the draft, which is not the way that a lot of these other teams are built. Um, so, yeah, there's I think there's a lot of different uh, – I wonder if fandom may be changing a bit in the NBA because of the fact that, you know, teams don't hold on to players anymore and players have so much power and so much, you know, so much command over fans right now that, you know, as they change teams, I wonder if allegiance has changed with them.
0: Next topic. You know, you all know, you all know what we're going to talk about because we have to give some congratulations to the U S women's national soccer team. They're celebrating their fourth world cup championship, beating the Netherlands two nil. Now, on Wednesday, New York City will throw a parade for the team. But what is more important that we're talking about, they're hoping for another victory. Uh, Back in March, 28 members of the team sued the U.S. Soccer Federation for allegedly discriminating by paying the women less than members of the men's national team. And uh, hopefully for the women, uh, as they're saying, that this win is going to help them in that fight.
1: Yeah, I would think that it would. Did you see the the fans in in France after the win? Oh, yeah. Channing Channing, equal equal pay. pay. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Um, Yeah, I think there's no question that this, you know, winning another back-to-back World Cups will, certainly in the court of public opinion, I think has has, has bolstered the, the women's argument significantly uh, from a legal standpoint i mean who knows how much you know that affects the, the way these things go i believe the u.s soccer recently agreed to uh to mediation as a way to try to resolve this suit um but you know the, it, it, it can't hurt right the, the women get i think two hundred fifty thousand dollars each as their as their bonus for winning the world cup um if it were the men you know the each man on the u.s team would get over a million from what yeah, i understand
0: I, I, if i remember the pool right it's the total FIFA pool is 30 million for the women, but 400 million for the men.
1: Yeah, those are, right. di- those are those di- are those are a bit different numbers. Yeah, yeah. just a little. <laughs> yeah, and, and and you know, so much of the argument, the, this the argument that U.S. soccer makes um, against equal pay for the for men's and the women's team, um, part of it is that you know they're they're different jobs with a different CBA. The other part of it is that the men make more money, right? And, and we're starting to see. That line blur a little bit, right? We don't have the, the ratings yet. It's Monday morning here in New York. We don't have the ratings yet. I would imagine that this women's game comes close to or beats the 25 million that watched the women's final four years ago. And as right. you know, that was the most watched soccer game, men's or women's ever, in English language television in the U.S., right? The, the, the women played on Fox on Sunday. The men played in the Gold Cup final on Fox Sports 1 on Sunday night. Uh, those are two different networks. Obviously, the Fox is always going to get a bigger draw, but I'd imagine the difference in those ratings is going to be very stark. So from a rating standpoint, the Women's World Cup is doing very well. And, and considering the U.S. men didn't even make the World Cup yeah. four years ago, it, it, it's a t- or, or last year, it's a tough comparison to make there. Merchandising is another one, right? We heard Mark Parker, the CEO of Nike, say on their earnings call last week, the U.S. women's jersey was the best-selling soccer jersey they'd ever had. Right. And now Fanatics, which is the dominant force in, in licensed sports apparel. They're saying that this year's women's team is the, is the best selling soccer team, national soccer team they've ever had. Right. So, so there, there, there's a tremendous amount of commerce existing around this women's team. Uh, and as, you know, more and more shirts get sold and as more and more people watch their games, the argument between, you know, the men's team makes so much more money than the women's team. Maybe the line there starts to blur a bit.
0: I think it comes down to And it's just like anything. Whether it's for the women, for the men, whether any sport you're talking about, uh, how much of demand is out there, mm-hmm. and that's what it really is going to come down to. Uh, it, it, I don't care if you put the best Major League Baseball team on television. If there's no demand for it, who's going to watch
1: it? Yeah, and and the National Women's Soccer League is another you know part of this discussion, not necessarily the equal pay discussion. But, you know, four years ago when the women beat Japan in that, in that really exciting uh, blowout final, uh, the National Women's Soccer League, the professional league here in the U.S., saw a tremendous boost for the first, you know, first couple months back, right? I remember Carly right. Lloyd playing in that first game back right. in Houston. You know, there was a boost in tickets. There was a boost in people watching. Um, Christine Lilly told us a couple weeks ago, same thing. She expects there to be a big business halo around a world cup victory right there's going to be a tour for the U.S. national team those women are also going to go back to the NWSL and start playing in that league there will be more people going to those games in the next couple months the big question is can they sustain that right
0: exactly yeah that's what I was getting at Mm -hmm. and I I want to add yes there is definitely a demand to watch the U.S. women's soccer team the question now is like you said you have to sustain it.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And, and the, you know, you, you see people saying it already, but, you know, if you want to support women's soccer in the U.S., right, the, the way you do that is with your wallet, right? And if you live somewhere close to the nine teams in the NWSL, right, going to games is a way that, that you do that, right? Or turning into, the, you know, they just signed a, a big deal with ESPN, a broadcast deal, tuning into the NWSL on ESPN news or ESPN Two, wherever ESPN chooses to put those games. That's another way that you can, you can show the support like that. Um, so yeah, the the women's soccer is trying to avoid this Olympic curse like gymnastics has like figure skating has where it's tremendously popular every four years. And then in the interim four years, you know, nobody really cares that much about it.
0: Uh, the feel good story out of Wimbledon uh, is Coco Golf, yeah, bless her heart. Fifteen years old, uh, she has had a great run at Wimbledon, but uh, it's unfortunately over. Yeah, yeah, she
1: she was eliminated by Simona Halep uh, on Monday morning. Um, but yeah, I mean, what a what a run there! You wow. know, got got to the round of sixteen uh, as a fifteen year old, which is I mean, almost unfathomable. Especially now, as tennis seems to be getting older and older in terms of who finds success. You know the fact that that she at fifteen in you know one of the first WTA tour tournaments of her career, uh, one of the first times she's played on grass. I think was the qualifying here. You know, there's so much, so so much that's really impressive about what she's doing.
0: You know, she had a hell of a run. She went in as Corey and then came out as Coco. <laughs> I mean, you pick up the nickname and there you go, man. It's great. I mean, and unfortunately, though, and something you mentioned. Because of her age, as we were talking about this uh, off air, because of her age, she's limited to the number of tournaments that she can get in.
1: Yeah, I'm wondering how if if she's going to have an argument to push this. So, so back in 1994, the WTA put in age restrictions, you know, and it was kind of a a response to if you remember Jennifer Capriati when she burst onto the scene was 14, I think, when she first started. About the same age, yeah, yeah, 14, 15, um, I believe that uh, Coco golf was the, went f- the furthest that a 15 year old had ever right. gone in the major since Jennifer Capriati back, in, back in, in, yeah, early okay. nine, 1990s. Um, so, you know, Capriati went through some burnout, you know, and I think the WTA thought, you know what, maybe we should do some things to, to, to restrict the amount that people are playing when they're that young. So the way it is right now, if you're a 13 year old, you can't play in any WTA tournaments. And then from 14 to 17, there's a restricted amount that you can play in. You know, it gets a little bit bigger and bigger every year. And then once you hit 18, no restrictions. You can become a full-time WTA player. Um, what gets interesting is when you have someone like Coco Goff who might be good enough to, to do a full WTA slate right now at right. 15, right? And, and if that's true, you know, she's having potential, you know, big earnings, you know, and that's not just on-court winnings. That's sponsorships as well. She's losing out on opportunities, as a 15 year old um, just because of her age. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I imagine, I don't know exactly how many tournaments she's played or how many she's allowed. I would think we may see her in qualifying and then possibly in the U S open. You know, if I, if I'm a tournament, I would love to have her, you know, I think she's going to going to become a draw. She's burst onto the scene for, for, for casual tennis fans in the past week or so. Um, but I do wonder if, you know, she is eventually going to challenge. I mean, she's three years away from being unrestricted in terms of the uh, in terms of the tournaments that she can play, which if she is this good, and I would caution because, you know, we've seen plenty of players, you know, have one or two great majors and then you never hear their name again. Um, it does seem like she is, you know, from a pedigree standpoint, maybe a little bit more talented than, than some of those other names. But uh, it, it does make me wonder if she may challenge to get some of those age restrictions changed if she is indeed this good this early.
0: Did you hear the story, by the way, before – this latest match she is homeschooled and her mom is a teacher mm. so her mom says all right you got to take your science test before <laughs> you go into this match i thought that was that was kind of cool yeah. yeah
1: that kind of puts things in perspective you know most of the most of the people on the tour are not worrying about the, the test they have to take before and after they're uh, they're winning on center court at, at wimbledon um by the way the we didn't talk about it last week but her her first round match Against Venus Williams when she upset Venus, I thought was very touching. You know, the, yeah. the, she was clearly very emotional afterwards when they when they met at the Venus. Everything she had done for the sport and specifically, I think, for women of color within tennis. Um, so a nice moment there. Um, and yeah, c- congratulations to Coco for a, for a good tournament. Uh, and I actually look forward to seeing what she can do maybe later in the year on the on the WTA tour.
0: Uh, she's going to be a, a force. Mm. I, I can. I mean, I can. I can see it. I mean, she is. God bless. I, I can see her, especially if she decides to do the U.S. Open here uh, in New York City, man. It, it's going to be something to watch.
1: And she has, you know, we mentioned sponsorships. She has a few partners already. You know, New Balance is the big one. Um, and what what a year New Balance is having, right? I mean, they signed Kawhi Leonard and he wins an NBA title and then bounces over to the second biggest media market in, in the country. New Balance signed Sidney McLaughlin, who who's a who's a big name in in tennis in track and field. Sorry, um, they signed Darius Baisley, you know, who is a one of the top rated high school basketball players, who's skipped out on going to Syracuse to play in the G League, and and he's now an intern at New Balance. In the process, um, Coco Golf could pay off tremendously for New Balance as well. Uh, so yeah, she has some sponsors: New Balance, Barilla, uh, Head, the tennis company, um, but. You know, it does make you wonder how, how much bigger those opportunities might be if she was able to compete full-time on the tour.
0: Oh, this has been the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. We get together here every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday to talk to you about the biggest sports stories and about the biggest names in sports.
1: Yeah, join us again at the end of the week. Scott, uh, we'll be back. Congratulations to the Connecticut yeah. Junior Rangers, by the way, uh, winning the Brick tournament up in uh, up in Edmonton. Uh, Scott will be back uh, in studio
0: on uh, on Wednesday and we will be speaking with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. You've been listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio, around the world and online, wherever you get your podcasts.